Good morning, Third Street. How y'all feeling? Mm. Mm. It's tough. I feel all right. I feel all right. It always feels good uh, when I get to this specific time. Um, because uh, especially on the weeks where I get to be the one with the honor and the privilege to bring forth the word of the Lord to you all. But I look forward to this every time because it's just one of the ways that, I, of the many ways, of uh, the many opportunities spiritually that are afforded to us, this is one of the top ways for me that I really connect with Jesus, that I really like get to know uh, what the Spirit's got going on and what He has specifically for me. And so I'm just excited to share this space with you guys this morning. I'm excited to talk to you uh, about uh, the literature that we've been going through specifically. If you all know, you all been with us. We've been in this series called One Church. If you're vibing, say one. Even if you're not vibing, you feel like, I don't know, we're going to wait and see, but I still think I should say one. Say one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we've been walking through the series called One. We've been talking about how one means a whole lot of different things. And we started our year by talking about one as a starting point. It's a beginning, right? It's a place. It's a building block. It's where, it's where everything begins. And we talked about as a church how, how in all of our goals and all of our relationships and all of our attempts in, on this side of eternity, our starting point, our starting block, the block upon which we build all other things is who? It's Jesus. I'm glad eight of you were with me. Jesus is the starting point of all reconciliation work. And if it's not, then you're not about to reconcile. You're just about to talk to each other. Or yell at each other. Or passively post about each other. And then last week we talked about, we talked about the reconciliation, praise God, that, play, that takes place between us and God. How God, his heart, his intent, and the work that he is desperately after is to set each and every one of us free. That he wants to see us all liberated from whatever chains have kept us in our sinful nature. And this week we move, fair warning, uncomfortably so, into the reconciliation work that God secondarily intends between all people. You know where I'm headed. I need you to turn to the book of Philemon. And we're going to read the same passage that we read last week. I told you we were doing it. And how last week we read one side of the coin about how God reconciles us to himself. This week we're going to read the same passage about how God reconciles all people to one another. Or at the very least, that's his intent. But sometimes... We get in the way, don't we? Great. Starting in verse 8. This is Philemon. It's the only chapter. Start in verse 8. Here we go. The Apostle Paul writes it this way. He says, For this reason, writing to Philemon, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right. Paul's flexing just a little bit. He says, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. 
I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. When you know the true text, like, isn't it so much more beautiful when Paul says it? Remember last week how we talked about Onesimus' name means useful? You see it now and you're like, oh, yeah, he really was doing something with that, right? Once he was useless to you, once he wasn't living up to his name, once he wasn't in his God-given identity, but look at him now. He says, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending you my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. Because remember, my guy is useful. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed, your good deed, it's so passive aggressive. I'm about to tell you, you're about to do something good, right? He says, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, uh uh-oh, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, man, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self, but you ain't going to talk about that. Yes, brother Philemon, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. We all love a good plot twist. We all love a good plot twist, right? We love the movies, the classics, that hit us with something in the last 15 minutes where you're just like, oh, 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 shoot. I didn't see that coming, right? You know the movies I'm talking about. Maybe the greatest plot twist of all time, you know I'm talking about Star Wars. If you ain't seen it by now, But when the ultimate hero and the ultimate villain finally meet up and they going at it, lightsaber to lightsaber, boom, boom, pow. And then he takes the helmet off and he's like, but wait, I'm actually your dad. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm fighting my father. I always dreamed about this. No, listen, it's a plot twist. You know the other ones I'm talking about? I'm talking about the Sixth Sense. Crazy, Crazy, right? You mean he sees dead people because, should I tell him? I shouldn't do it. I would make him watch it. Listen, if you ain't seen it by now, I shouldn't tell him, no. He been dead the whole time. That's so crazy. You know the one I'm talking about? I'm talking about Fight Club. You mean Tyler Durden was me the whole time, KT? He wasn't really there. He wasn't. It was me. Yo, plot twist. We love a good plot twist. Except, except when we're in the middle of it, right? Except, except when it's twisted on us, 
right? So here I am, Philemon, reading this letter from the Apostle Paul that was delivered with the letter to the church of Colossae at large. They get it. He said, oh, this is to the church of Colossians. Oh, this was for Philemon. Hey, go give that to him, right? And then Philemon and I open this, and I'm reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, and it opens, and it says, Philemon, man, you love people really well. You love people so well. I'm so proud of you, man. Philemon's like, <clears throat> Paul's proud of me, right? And then he goes on, and he's like, he's like I, Paul, am encouraged by your love. Like, when I pray, I thank God every time for you because I'm just so encouraged by the work that you're doing. Philemon's showing his wife and his kid, and he's like, he's encouraged by the work that I'm doing. And then Paul gets to this part where he's like, and oh, by the way, I ran into Onesimus. You, you remember Onesimus, right? He was your slave. You remember that, right? You remember he was your slave, and then he did you dirty, did something wrong, and then he ran away. You remember Onesimus. Well, I, I, crazy. I ran into him, and guess what? He's changed. He found the Lord. He's not even the same person. Matter of fact, you wouldn't even recognize your boy. Wouldn't even recognize him. I'm sure at this point, Philemon's thinking like, yeah, okay, cool. Good for him, right? And then plot twist. So, Paul writes, if you consider me a partner, I want you to welcome him back. And I want you to welcome him back how you would welcome me back. Aw, shoot. Plot twist. We thought this letter was about Onesimus' freedom. Turns out, it's about Philemon's. It's about the fact that even though this man has found Jesus and holds people in his home to hear the name of Jesus, he still holds chains on his heart that keeps other people in chains. Paul writes to Philemon and praises Philemon's love for all people. He's like, man, you're killing the game, man. The way that you open your home, P, is crazy. The way that you walk people in your context, in your, your culture, through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's amazing. I'm encouraged by it. But my brother... And he says, brother, about 15 times. He said, my brother, you're holding on to something. And here's the thing. See, 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 for Onesimus to return back as a runaway slave who did Philemon wrong, Philemon actually has legal right to hold Onesimus accountable. He has legal right to whoop him, right? And this ain't your grandma's whooping. I mean, he really has some right to do some things to Onesimus legally. Like the law holds this man accountable. Onesimus' departure caused a really big inconvenience. Let's not make light of that, right? Philemon had a system. He had a whole order. And Onesimus leaving costs Philemon time. Onesimus leaving costs Philemon money. 
And you know it raised some questions because if people are always in his house and they're used to seeing Onesimus serve, and then the next time they come to his house and Onesimus ain't serving no more, what's the logical question? What happened to Onesimus? It lost Philemon some some conversation time. He had to explain that. So, yeah, he's holding on to something. Oh, you mean the dude who ran away? You mean the guy who we don't know what he did? Maybe he took something. Maybe, you know, maybe he says some stuff. We don't know what he did on his way out the door, but he did some stuff on his way out the door. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, cool. Glad he glad he changed. Good for him. But he's probably thinking like, yeah, good for him. Whatever. Hope he finds success or love or whatever the heck we fake wish people and we just keep it pushing. But Paul's like, nah, fam, plot twist. You're going to take him back. And you're not going to take him back in a way that holds him legally accountable. You're going to take him back as, you remember this phrase from last week? You're going to take him back as more than a slave. This ain't your slave no more. You're not going to take him back and hold him legally accountable. All that stuff that he did to you, whatever the heck it was, he said, yeah, go ahead and put it on my tab. That ain't on his head no more. He said, you're going to take him back as more than a slave. Matter of fact, let me just, just a little bit further. He said, you're going to take him back as a brother. See, it's not God's intentions for Philemon to just be like, well, bless your heart, good for you, and keep it pushing. Right? It's not God's true intentions that a minister of his gospel would still be holding on to something in his heart. It's not God's intentions that a minister of his gospel would still be holding something in his heart that keeps somebody else in chains. Because at this point, as Paul has explicitly expressed in his letter, the only thing keeping Onesimus in chains at this point is Philemon. It's not God. It's not his sins. Those have been forgiven. It's just what Philemon has in his heart. It stinks. But it's a reality that all of us, to some extent, in some way, live into. We love and are quick to accept our own freedom. What Jesus has done for me. But in our hearts, who are you keeping in chains? Right? We can quickly accept, although I shouldn't say quickly, because honestly, for a lot of us, I would, I would say this about myself, it's a process for me to believe that I'm truly free, that I'm really not who I used to be that I'm really past the shame and the guilt that Satan tries to put on me from my past. Like, it's a process to get there. And for some of us, it's so much work to get there that we forget that it's also true of other people. It's really difficult sometimes, isn't it, for us to let other people be different. We want it for ourselves. We believe it for ourselves because we personally have experienced that about Jesus, but we don't believe it about other people. We have a hard time letting people be different that than how we've had them painted in our minds. That's the way the whole system of race in our country is set up. Oh, it got got real, real quiet. Y'all didn't know where you were? That's how race is set up in 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 our society. You know race isn't a gene? You know that's not in your, like, genetics? But it's a man-made system that we've put in place? And even though we've taken certain steps to, like, get rid of certain laws that some people have made us aware are not okay, apparently, we, we, we still have this perception in our hearts about, what, about the value that particular people groups have. You know, we passive-aggressively assign value to people 
when we pass legislation about borders or about where people can live or about loans or about all these things? Did you know that? Did you know that this is how our whole political system is set up? That in Washington, did you know this? I didn't know this till I started watching uh, that channel that always shows the, uh, you know, the floor. You know the one I'm talking about. Did you know that Republicans and Democrats, did you know that them saying, like, working across the aisle isn't a metaphor? Did you know that they literally sit on different sides of the aisle? Did you, you knew that? I didn't. That's wild. Are we five? That's crazy. We literally do this. We give people a limitation on their value because like, oh, well, they're on that side of the aisle. We literally think that some people can't speak to a certain value in our country because of the aisle, the side of the aisle that they sit on. This is mind blowing to me. You know, this is still how we treat whole cities and neighborhoods. Did you know that some of you are only comfortable coming to Third Street because there's other Christians here? That you drive to this part of the Southeast and you drive out quickly because you still have this perception about what lives around here? Did you know that people literally think that? Listen, I just looked over in her seat. Sister Johnson's not here, so I can say it. Did you know that I still hold bad things in my heart about Maslin? That I still think whole cities smell bad? I had to, you said it never goes away. Heaven, maybe. But even then there might be a special section. You know what I'm saying? Listen, she's she not here to hold me accountable. It's, we think that. Did you know that we do this in our own specific situations? That we keep people in chains in our hearts? That while we might not do it on the external, I'll never trust that person again. They'll never prove themselves different to me. What they did to me, nah, pastor, I know you, 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 you can talk, you can talk about race all you want. Just don't talk about what that thing that happened to me. But I'm talking about that, too. We hold people in chains and that goes against the intentions of the creator we claim to follow and that also holds us back from experiencing the fullness of God's design. Did you know that there is an enhanced experience of spirituality and the goodness that comes from God on the other side of reconciliation? Or have you been sitting so long with your arms crossed that you haven't even considered it? So let me ask you, and you don't got to talk back to me on this one because I know you won't anyway. Who do you need to let out of their chains? Who do you need to let out of, their, out, of, out of their chains? Because can I tell you something? It might not be who you think it is. It might not be, be the people that you say you're fighting for. It might not be them. Who do you need to let out of their chains? And you know it stinks for Philemon and also for us this morning. 
is that Paul was just getting started. He said, not only do I need you to let my brother out of his chains, I'm going to need you to see him how I see him and how you see me. And how's that? A brother, a partner, as a matter of fact. And this isn't just like we got paired together on a group text. I'm talking, this is my boy Moses from Dallas who says, what's up? That's my guy. That's my partner. Right? No, y'all don't know nobody from the South. It's just me. Okay. He says, if you're my partner, if you're my rider, if you're my guy, if you're my one, if you're my, if you're my brother, if you're my fam, he is too. For real? But you don't know what he, I do know. Matter of fact, and I, I don't need to know the full extent. Put it on my tab because we're all family now. He says, I want you to welcome him back with no barriers. Not the yeah buts or not the yeah as soon as he and not the, and not the well we'll see. None of that. No barriers. There's this nasty habit that we have in our personal lives and we can see it in our systems where, where we'll take people back conditionally. And then at the first sight of stress, get them out. I mean, we do it in our schools. We'll take, we'll take kids that are on Ohio Ed Choice. We'll take that government money. But the first sign of something going left, right back. Not you, though. I know it's not you. You see what I'm saying? It's in everything. It's deep. It's deep in our culture, in our, in our society. Paul uses, this, Paul uses this phrase continuously at least two other times. He says, he uses this, this, this Greek phrase, koinonia. Koinonia, which is intimate fellowship. It's, 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 it's being together. It's, it's sharing a common commitment and a common community. Like we're in this together, we're a part of the same family, and we're a part of the same family for the same reason. It's deep. And it's deeper than any other commitment. Because it's not just physical, it's spiritual. He says you're going to receive him as a beloved brother. Not the brother that you can't stand and you try to not sit next to at Thanksgiving. The one that you're like, wonder what he's doing today. He says, this is your beloved brother, and this isn't just your beloved brother in this life. This is your beloved brother in this life because you guys agree on eternity. You don't get to just say, well, in eternity we can be brothers. But until then, you don't get to say that. This is the hard part about following Jesus. This is a, this is a really tough thing to lean into. But Paul, this is not an isolated incident. He writes it not only in this letter to Philemon, but he also does it in the bigger letter to Colossians, to the whole community. He's like, don't, don't worry, Philemon. I'm going to let you off the hook a little bit. This isn't just a word for you. Everybody's got to hear this one. In Colossians 3, Paul says you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator, not to the image of your culture, not to the image of your Caesar, not to the image of your heritage, to the image of your creator. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. He goes on, he says, in Christ which is allegedly the bonding agent here, right? In Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This does not mean that your color doesn't matter, that your culture doesn't matter, that your heritage doesn't matter. It just means that none of that is before Christ. The gospel transcends and informs how you live that out, not the other way around. 
Paul's like, nah, if you're going to really be committed to this Philemon, and I can tell by the way that you live your life, you really want to be committed to this. If you're going to be committed to this, then you're going to be committed to one family. That means even Onesimus. Who is it hard for you to see as a brother or sister? Maybe it's a specific person. And you're like, man, I really hope that a spiritual gift is not mind reading. Because if it is, pastor's about to call it out. Well, it's not. Because if it was, I would call it out. You're right. Who's the specific person that it's hard for you to see as a brother or sister? Maybe it's not a person. Maybe, maybe it's a people. Who's the people? Maybe it's the people in power. It's hard for you to see them as a brother or sister because I don't think they see me as a brother or sister. Did you know Paul never said, and just so you know, Onesimus loves you too and he wants to be taken back. He didn't even address that. He's like, it's not even about that. It's about you. It's hard, right? I get it. I know I'm saying these things like I'm coming down on you. Like, I want to share this with you. I get that it's hard. It's hard to not, to not just walk, to walk away and be like, I'm going to let God figure it out, give it over to him for the destruction of their flesh or the, or, 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 or the entry into the kingdom. Either way, I don't care. I'm going to let God handle it. I can't do it. I'm out. It's hard to not be like that. It's hard to not sit at tables and as soon as the first sign of tension be like, well, I'm about to head out. It's hard. Because when it gets hard, we want to retreat. When it gets hard, we want to be with people like us. Even when we fight, we're fighting to see who thinks what I think. Right? We want to retreat. We want to be around people like us. And I get that. And I'm not saying that there's not even a time for that. It's hard knowing that the expectation of Christ is that we actually build together as one into one family, into one humanity. Here's a scary thought. What if God wasn't going to come back until we all agreed? I'll wait. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Because how many of us have already given up on it? We've already given up. Well, it'll never change. Some of the systems might not, and the ones that are eradicated and a more evil one might, might take its place, but he's not talking about that. It's hard knowing that God not only hopes and plans, but he expects and mandates that we move together into one family. Where do you need to begin to build bridges? What's that resistance you feel in your heart where you're like, not that, but it's that, and this is where you need to begin to build. This church is supposed to be a place where we do the hard work. That's what it's supposed to be. I don't have time to call out all the ways I, I don't see that. I'm, I'm instead going to gently remind you what it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be a place where we have the theological framework 
and the physical community to express and work these things out. We're supposed to be the embodiment of what it looks like. We're supposed to be the light to everyone else who's still fighting all the time. We're supposed to be the light of what it looks like. But God forbid we keep doing some songs you don't like. God forbid I don't let you hit your lunch reservation on time. God forbid some conditions of things don't look like how some of those comfy buildings up the road in the suburbs look. God forbid all that. This is supposed to be a place that's a light. This is supposed to be a place where we do the hard work of working it out. Do I have room to tell you one more thing? Or have I, have I run out? I'm going to tell you one more thing. Because this, this is where it gets personal for me. This, this is where this letter hit me. Over the past month, I think I've probably read this letter 100 times, at least. No, no exaggeration. 90 of them were last night, but 100 times. That's a joke. And what continuously resonated to me, and actually what drew me to start reading Philemon in the first place, was the fact that Paul wrote this from prison. Can we think about this for a second? Paul is in chains. And he's spending his time in chains fighting for the freedom of other people. Paul is in chains. And he's like, I want to see you set free. Because I just saw you set free. Because even though there's chains on him, he's free, right? You know what's interesting to me about this letter? Is that Paul doesn't one time address the Greco-Roman system that has them all in literal chains. He doesn't one time talk about it. What does he address specifically instead? The heart. He doesn't one time talk about the laws of the land. He doesn't one time talk about a system that's keeping him down. He talks about the heart. Where do we see it? It's repetitive language. Remember week one, I told you to be on the lookout for that. He says love a ton. He says family a ton. He says beloved a ton. He says heart a ton. He's talking to the heart. He's not talking to the chains. He's not talking to the metal. He's not talking about Caesar who employs it. He's talking to the heart. Why? Because the heart of man is what holds up the systems. He's not attempting to break a law. He's attempting to free Philemon. Here's where it gets crazy. I wept. I'm not exaggerating. I cried hard like boo-hoo, ugly, <laughs> cried when this part hit me. He's trying to free Philemon. How do we know that Philemon still has chains on his heart? He's ministering. He's discipling. He's huddling. How do we know he still has chains in his heart? Here it is. Because, because Onesimus served a house that gathered Christians daily, and yet he had to leave. He had to run away to hear and receive the gospel for himself. How messed up is that? This man heard his master talk about Jesus a million times. But for him to receive it, he had to run away because there were chains on the master's heart. Why? 
Why does Paul talk about the heart and not the system? Because if the heart of the slave is transformed and the heart of the master is transformed, then what can a system do? How powerless are our systems if the heart of those in power and the heart of those held down are transformed? How powerless would our systems be? It's hard over systems. Paul even lands the plane. He says, so refresh my heart. You know what would make my heart feel better? You know what would make me less tired? It's not legislation. You know what would make me less tired? Is if y'all were one family. Is if y'all would get along. Is if y'all would be like, man, no matter what city we're in, no matter what building we're in, no matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on in these streets, no matter what sign somebody's holding up, we family. That's my brother. That's my sister. And we're going to act like it. Church, I need you to ask yourself that question. Is your heart so transformed that you've laid down the fight for your own life and you've joined God's fight to free the hearts of those he's placed around you? That's the church that I'm trying to see and be a part of. If this ain't that, let me know. Let me know. That's the church I'm trying to be a part of. The church that lays down the fight for their own lives and fights for the freedom of those who are cursed and in chains around them. And I mean all of them, Philemon, not just the ones that you like or not just the ones that you're comfortable being in your living room. I'm talking about all of them. Some of us. Some of us think we've done something real sweet because we go to church at Third Street. Forgive me. Give give me some grace here. Some of us think we've done some really hard work because we go to church at Third Street and not where we could go. Right. But let me ask you this. If you hear like here, here, like you family here, are the hearts in this community changing because you're here? That's all I want to know. Are the hearts in this community changing because you're here? Are kids less hungry because you're here? Are test scores higher because you're here? Is fair housing more accessible? Is a loving home and heat in the winter more accessible because you're here? Do people know the love of a father because you're here? Do people have have, have hope and peace arrived at doorsteps because you're here? Have generational curses been broken because you're here? Have people been set free because you're here? The heart of a follower of Jesus is one who has been set free and continues to set free. Perhaps some of us need to start back at one. You see what I did there, Ross? You see what I did there? Did you like that? Yeah. Some of us got to go back. Go back to one. Go back to Jesus as the starting place, not your bias. Go back to Jesus as the starting place, not your pain. Go back to Jesus as the starting place, not your experience, not your education, not whatever your daddy told you. Go back to Jesus as the starting place. Remember that Jesus, remember what Jesus has done for us. 
And remember that Jesus set us on a path to be salt and light. Remember that Jesus was the one that told the story about the man in debt who was grateful for being let out of his debt, but then was ready to ring somebody up for the debt that they owed him. Remember that Jesus was the one that told that story and advised against it. So here's a plot twist. Plot twist. You realize your salvation is not only about you. That's the plot twist. Your salvation ain't about you. Church, we've not only been set free, but have been given the authority and the mandate to set other hearts free. We need to commit to no longer neglect or argue against people that we should be seeing as family instead of fighting for their freedom while God continues to work out our own. You want me to? I said we will no longer neglect or argue against people that we should be seeing as family instead of fighting for their freedom while God continues to work out our own freedom. And we must continue to speak to the heart. That's the authority. That's the power that, that God gave us. You know how Jesus moved a room? Because despite the way he looked, despite who he was culturally, despite the way he probably smelled and his feet was all beat up, despite anything that you held against him coming in, when he spoke, he spoke to your heart. You know the reason that Roman soldiers dropped their shields and their swords? Because he talked to their hearts. You know the reason that even though all the cultural stuff was going on, it was a Roman soldier that pled with Jesus, please heal my, heal my servant? It's because he spoke to the heart. We will continue to speak to the heart because the heart of people is what holds up systems that holds people back or holds people down. When the heart of people in power change, and the heart of people held down change. What system of this world can prevent the arrival of the kingdom of God from uniting, renewing, and restoring all people? Let's pray. Father God, you are infinitely more wise and creative than us. Lord, you are patient. You are good. And God, I'm sure you've seen it, but we need some of that. Lord, we want to see the arrival of the kingdom shake things in our neighborhood. We want to see the arrival of your kingdom through the person of Jesus and those who believe shake the situations in our family, in our other relationships, in our workplace, in our places of legislation. We want to see the arrival of the kingdom of God 
move mountains and break chains. And so, Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've held that up. We ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've continued in this life, knowing that you've set us free, but we have refused to set others free. Those who have sinned against us, we hold on to their chains. Lord, we pray for forgiveness. And God, we ask that you would help us get out of our own way. That when the moments get hard and we're we're feeling the urge to fight or run, that your spirit will remind us to adhere to unity, to the idea of one family, one people, one humanity at all costs. Lord, we pray for the courage to stay in it and fight. Lord, we pray for the wisdom to navigate the most nuanced of situations. Lord, we pray for the peace and the patience to not get rattled by hostility, but to speak with confidence to the heart that you're trying to reach. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.